1: hello friends and welcome to another ask zach today we're going to talk about how small amps became big how everyone went from wanting twin reverbs and marshall stacks to wanting you know princetons and deluxes and champs and little 20 watt Marshalls and and that uh, that ilk so uh yeah we're going to talk about how that happened and it all started because i was having a phone conversation with a uh uh, a great player that I've interviewed in the past, uh, Gordon Kennedy. So I'll talk about that, and uh, yeah, and we'll we'll have some fun. So while you're thinking about it, go down in the corner and subscribe if you haven't done that already. Also, if you enjoy the episode, please remember to hit the uh, the the like button so that it uh, you know of course it helps the, the algorithm. Also, I uh, really appreciate uh, you know people supporting the channel. There's uh, tip jar information in the description. Also, there's uh, Friends of Ask Zach, which is a way to support the channel on a monthly basis. And to to all of those cats, I sent uh, thank you notes and also personalized Ask Zach picks. So thank you, guys. If you haven't gotten your, if you're a friend of Ask Zach and haven't gotten your pick in the mail, your picks in the mail, then uh, please, uh, please contact me. Yeah. And then there's also a merch. So, uh, you know, we have things like these Ask Zach shirts or mugs and stuff like that. You can find that at AskZach.com. Also... There's tons and tons of articles, things that I've written in the past for uh, Vintage Guitar Magazine, or things that I've written you know, in the last you know, couple of years that are up on my website. Some interesting articles like uh, even wiring schematics for different guitars and different things like that. So uh, uh, recording notes from Brad Paisley records, all sorts of things. So yeah, check out askzack.com. All right, so small amps. Uh, how did they become big? Uh, so this all started with uh, I was talking to Gordon Kennedy. Gordon Kennedy, of course, he's probably most famous for co-writing the tune "Change the World," that was, you know, of course, a big hit for Clapton and a you know, Grammy win, and et cetera. He's a great songwriter, great guitar player, great producer. He's, uh, you know, he's worked with uh, Peter Frampton and Ricky Skaggs, and you know, both in recording and producing and touring with them and, and, and such, and all, all sorts of other acts. And so I was actually talking to him about speakers uh, because I've, you know, I've had ongoing, I've just had fun with this uh, Stapleton Princeton amp. This is a, you know, a new amp you know, made by Fender, and I've just kind of experimented with tubes and, and speakers and such. And uh, just, just so you know, I've continued to experiment. Right now it has a, a Celestian Alnico Blue in it. But uh, we were talking about speakers and talking about amps, and uh Gordon is also the son of a session guitar player, record producer, head of a record label. So his dad Jerry Kennedy <laughs> was the head of Mercury Records and helmed the careers of of like Roger Miller and Jerry Lee Lewis and played on played guitar on Pretty Woman and stuff like that. So yeah, so Gordon comes from a a, a great uh, you know, musical lineage. And he was talking about, of course, Gordon has seen concerts, you know, you know, you know, through through the fifties and sixties and seventies and eighties. He's gone to all sorts of shows. And as we were talking about speakers, we were talking about how the fact that in the past, you know, PA systems were woefully adequate, and so that's why you had to have the big amplifiers. And he was talking about how he was getting rid of all of his bigger amps, even things like he had a Brown Vibrolux that he got rid of because he's mainly using his Tweed Deluxe and like a Blackface Princeton and some other smaller amps. Those are things he's using a lot. So, from that conversation, I thought, wow, a lot of people don't think about the why of, you know, of how, you know, small amps kind of became the thing. And so let's just, you know, go back, you know, in the old way back machine, back to the, the early days, back in the 40s and 50s. And amplification was, of course, you know, just in its infancy. And, you know, you had, uh, you know, limitations by, you know, the tubes that were available at that point. You had limitations by the speakers that were made at that point. And also there wasn't a lot of like heavy tone shaping going on. It was just about trying to get the guitar louder. One of the greatest limitations was the speakers that were available at that point. So let's take Fender, for example, because they're something we're all familiar with probably. And the the speakers that they used were mainly Alnico magnet speakers that were made by Jensen, you know, in the 1950s. So that's where you get like the P10R, you know, which was a speaker that could only handle about 10 watts, maybe a little bit more. Now, one of the limitations for Fender making more powerful amps was actually the speakers that were available and the cost of them. So, if you're look, if you able to look back at old Fender amps, like if you look at old listings and things like that, you will find it quite rare, especially on the P10R, to find ones that haven't been blown. Like perhaps if it's in a small amp, perhaps if it's in a Harvard or something like that, but like many of the P10Rs that were in basemans, bandmasters, you know, the 310 bandmaster and things like that, they were they were just blown. And that was because uh the technology just wasn't there yet. And also Fender was trying to get away with using the uh the least expensive you know speaker they could use. But there was a, a huge limitation to that. So let's let's move over to Vox, uh, you know, in England, which really starts getting going around 5758. And, uh, you know, the amp that, uh, you know, Dick Denny, you know, designed was the, you know, the AC 10 and AC 15. And, you know, they had the EF 86 power tube and they had the Celestian blue speaker. And that was one of the first speakers that was designed specifically for guitar use. Uh, so, so with that, Again, you have these small amps, and, and just an aside, on those old amps like the Vox, the early Voxes, and the Tweed Fenders, the controls are on the top, and the way you would read them is from behind the amp, and that's because that's the way they designed them to be. They designed the amps to be in front of you because the guitar amp was what was going to carry, you know, your guitar sound, you know. In this day and age, we're so used to everything being mic'd up, we don't think about the fact that most of these old amps were designed to go in front of the, the player and to, to, uh, to be the only amplification that was available for that instrument. It wasn't going through a PA. So, yeah, you have this whole emphasis on the amp is gonna carry my guitar sound to whatever audience I'm gonna play. So again, you had the limitations of speakers and such, and, but, it, but everything kind of keeps moving forward. In the, in the early 60s, you have the switch over to uh, ceramic being used more, which was heavier, but also it was cheaper because of you know, the Cold War and things going on. So amps start, start getting bigger, they start getting more powerful, and the only way they're able to do that is by using multiple speakers. So you have, and again, this has to do with the places that guitar players were playing were getting bigger. So you have, like in England, you have the Shadows playing with Cliff Richard, and they're using AC-15s. Well, they can't hear themselves over the crowd. Sound like a familiar thing? This This is kind of an ongoing thing that happens all throughout the 60s. So... They have to create the AC30, which is basically a double AC15 with two speakers, and uh, and and it kind of the development keeps going on like that. And then after, of course, the, you know Cliff Richard and the in the Shadows, then you get up to the Beatles, and they're even by the time they come over to the U.S., they're not even using AC30s anymore, except maybe to record some. When the when the Beatles come to the U.S., they're already using the AC50. And it's a head and cab. And it's all because, why? PA systems are not adequate. The PA system is only carrying the vocals. So if you look at any old footage of the Beatles, or practically anyone performing in the 1960s, you will see microphones that are being used for the voice, but there are no microphones on anything else most of the time. Uh, So... As audiences get bigger and louder and they're screaming more, you know, which is kind of the thing. I mean, I guess that kind of goes all the way back to like Frank Sinatra. People were screaming for him. And of course they screamed for Elvis and they screamed for Cliff Richard and the Beatles and on and on. You know, the amplifiers had to get louder and louder and louder. Also, at the same time, you know, just a, a brief, you know, rabbit trail on this, Drums were doing the same thing. So drum kits were smaller. So if you look at bands playing in the 50s and 60s, they have what's called like a jazz kit, a cocktail kit or something like that. So you have a much smaller bass drum and you have you know, much less cymbals. You don't have as many toms and things like that. So think about Ringo Starr, think about you, know, watching, um, you know, watching Elvis. Uh, you know, watching his drummer play and the little kit that he has. Well, also with drums, the same thing is happening. You know, they're they're starting to be a push because the drums aren't being amplified either through the PA. They're not being mic'd up, so drums are getting bigger and bigger. Bass drums are getting bigger, more toms. The toms are getting bigger. Again, it's all about creating more volume because. The PA systems are not able to do that, and no one's miking up individual instruments. So this goes on throughout the '60s. You know, you even see like Hendrix and others. uh, You know, most of the time, again, there's not a mic you know anywhere except for the vocal. By the time you get into the '70s, there starts to be more of a push. You have bands like the Grateful Dead and others that are pushing. For better PA systems and a clearer sound. So then you start, you start seeing, you start to see the beginning of amps being mic'd up, drums being mic'd up. Sometimes it's just an an overhead mic for the drums, you know, and and maybe you know there's a, a mic on the bass drum or the snare or something like that, but it's the beginning. So that starts moving forward. And this is when you start getting these fun tales that have been told a million times, and it's always insert famous guitar player here, but it's always the same story. I saw so-and-so, and they had these stack of amplifiers, but none of them were actually on. They were all on standby just so the lights would be on. And backstage, they had a blank insert small amp here, that was mic'd up and that was the sound you were actually hearing. Okay. So that's kind of the beginning of that thing. And it kind of goes into the 80s. And again, there's still bands playing through Marshall stacks and things like that and hair bands and you know, all sorts of different bands that are, that are doing that. But you're starting to see that amps are now really being mic'd up. So, I mean, if you see you know, any footage by the time you get to the eighties, you know, bands are, you know, the, the drums are mic'd up, the, the amps are mic'd up, you know, at least they're getting a DI off the bass or something. So that starts to become the norm. Well, you know, you, so what you see is you start to see, you know, the move back to smaller amplification where you see less full stacks, you see it's more, you know, half stacks, twins and things like that. Um, you know as a guitar player that you know started you know really getting you know serious about guitar playing by the mid 80s you know i can tell you that you know just from my own experience that the emphasis was was very much on at least a 100 watt amp to the point of little amps were not taken seriously at all so you know, during all this time that we're talking about, where th- where you know amps weren't really uh, you know miked up that much, a Princeton, a Deluxe, even a Vibrolux, a lot of these amps were not taken seriously as a serious guitar amp, unless it was like I guess you know Roy Buchanan would be one of the one of the uh, the few that, uh, but uh, he was miked up when he played bigger places, and of course when he was playing clubs, he would turn the amp around and turn it up to ten. But even in the 1980s, small Fender amps were not taken seriously at all. A Princeton, that was a practice amp. And it was, you know, so if you found a used Blackface Princeton, maybe 200 bucks. Okay. If you found a used Blackface Deluxe, again, like 250 or something like that. I had a Brown Deluxe. So it was a 61 or 62. It still had the uh, the leather handle on it. And I, I got it from uh, one of the guys, um, he was an an elder at the church that I was going to at the time. It was an Assembly of God church. And he sold me a Brown Deluxe for 50 bucks. And I had it, and I liked it, but the problem was is I was using it to play with the jazz band that I was in at at high school. You know, there was the high school jazz band. And when it got loud enough to be heard over a huge, you know horn section and drums and bass and and you know keyboards it was distorted which was fine for some soloing but it wasn't fine for when I was comping chords on like a swing tune so I ended up deciding to get rid of the amp as cool as it sounded you know it was just it just wouldn't it wouldn't cut it for me so I remember taking that amp around Corpus Christi Texas and none of the shops even wanted the amp at all they wouldn't even take it on a trade in again this is around this is around 1991-92 around there, and it was just not taken seriously because it wasn't a serious amp. I mean it was like nobody wanted it. and uh, it was it was hilarious. and it was the same thing with like deluxe reverbs. Again, you know still, they're not they just weren't worth a bunch of money. So then moving on, uh, you know of course, I moved to Nashville in the early 90s. and when I showed up in town, you know, the attitude was you had to have two amps, you had to be going in stereo and you and it had to be two big amps. So when I say big amps, it had to be like two AC30s, two matchless amps, two twin reverbs. I mean, that was the thing. And if you didn't have those, you know, you weren't taken seriously, you know, playing live or even in the studio, you were expected unless you were going to do some weird lap steel part or something like that. You are expected to have these big, you know, have two big amps, and it was just the attitude. And deluxe reverbs were not cool unless, you know, maybe you were just recording and it was just some little clean part that you were doing on a demo session or something like that. But uh, yeah, they were. Uh, it, it was not really accepted. But then the big, the big change that happened in Nashville was things. They had these in-ear monitors that became, you know, that started, you know, entering the world and all of a sudden people wanted clean stages. Okay. So all of a sudden they, they wanted a stage that had, you know, had set pieces and things like that. And they didn't want to have amps out there. You know, they wanted a clean stage and also more and more sound men wanted to have more control over the sound. Uh, so that basically when they pulled the fader back, they didn't want to hear anything at all. So, you know, things started going direct. Now, things had been going direct in Nashville all through the 80s, but they started going direct also live. And you started having this push toward amps being, you know, put backstage behind drum risers and things like that. So that's kind of where the evolution of this happened, where amps got bigger and bigger because they weren't going through the PA. By the 80s, they start going through the PA And by the nineties, with the advent of, you know, of course, much better PA systems, and you start to have the advent of in-ear monitors and such, you get to the point where why am I why am I using a big amp? I mean, what is what is it doing for me? Now, yes, I will acquiesce that you know there's a sound to a hundred watt plexi. And a a 50-watt Plexi doesn't sound the same. And yes, there's a sound to an AC-30 versus an AC-15. There's a difference. When you start having a quad of power tubes and the different transformers and things like that, yes, there is a different sound. A twin sounds very different than a Pro Reverb. But it got to the point where, why do I need to be carrying around a big, loud amp? I can carry around a 20 water less amp and be very fine and be plenty loud because it's going to be mic'd up and half over half the time now, we're using in-ear monitors. So why do I need to be carrying around a big loud amp? What is it going to do for me? It becomes where it's just a rarefied actual need and needs a strong word there, but you have to be a really big act and mainly a guitarist, uh, you know, a guitar player, singer, you know, like a, a Brad Paisley, a John Mayer, a Clapton or something like that to uh, to need, you know, bigger amps. You know, frankly, I saw Clapton this last year and uh, he was amazing by the way. And I was, I was kind of worried because he's like 75 years old, but he sang great, played great. He played the same guitar the whole night. You know, he had one like kind of dark blue Clapton Strat And he had uh, he did play you know of course his signature model Martin acoustic for an an acoustic segment but then the guitar never you know left the stage there was no you know guitar techs coming out and doing changes all the time Uh, it was it was actually really beautiful just to to see that but amp wise he had a a three ten Bandmaster. So I I believe this is one, what I've been told is that this is an amp that Fender made for him and then Dumble, you know, modified it, you know, hot rodded it or whatever. But still, you're talking about a 30, 35 watt amp. And there's a second one on stage just as a backup. And he's playing, you know, I saw him at the arena here in Nashville at Bridgestone. And it's like, it's mic'd up and it's, you know, it was great. You know, and the opening act was Jimmy Vaughn. Jimmy Vaughn was playing through like a 410 baseman and, uh, and it was mic'd up and it sounded glorious. So, yeah. So the, the, the switch, you know, was, was made and, uh, all of a sudden it was like, why, why do we need big amps? I don't need to be destroying my hearing, you know, already, you know, we need to be protecting our hearing anyway. And it's like, why, why do I need to be carrying like some gigantic amp that's just going to be detrimental to me? It's like, I might as well carry a smaller amp, you know, a Deluxe, a Princeton, you know, an AC-15, something like that, and uh, mic it up and be able to enjoy the sound of it and be able to be near it without worrying about that I'm, you know, killing myself or cu- killing the audience. So, yeah. So that that's kind of how how that happened. And, uh, you know, I think it's a, a fine thing. Uh, now, the whole uh, going direct thing. That's a, that's a whole nother thing. And I'm going to have an episode about that because I'm being forced, basically being forced to go direct on a, on a gig coming up. I'm going to be playing a show in, in Vegas with, uh, with my buddy, Paul Bogart and, and, uh, it's a fly date and the amp rental thing has been really, uh, hinky. So I'm going to end up going direct. I'll do a whole episode after, after I do that. But, uh, yeah. So embrace the small amps, enjoy them, uh, because they're, they're a lot of fun and it's really nice to have amps that get a great sound at a lower volume that you can actually turn them up some instead of having some big amp that you have on too. All right. I want to briefly, uh, talk about what I played just at the intro and, uh, mainly because of the, you know, the, the sound I used. So of course, you know, using my, my 57 Esquire. And this is the, the Stapleton Princeton. I'm the, uh, the tremolo is not on. Um, and I've got my pedal board down below. And, uh, basically I'm using a touch of compression and I'm using two delays to kind of really fill things out and, uh, and make me, uh, you know, play a little less. And then of course also is, you know, capoing way up on the, on the seventh fret. So, uh, so this is kind of the sound. So you get that uh, the kind of you know delays kind of cascading, bouncing off each other. I'm using a uh, line six echo Pro, and this is the delay it's doing. I'm turn that off. And then I was using also a Boss DM3 that I, that I love. And I have it turned up with the re- repeat rate. You know, so it's got its longest delay time. And then it's got its um, repeats are maxed out. So, and on this one, it does not oscillate. So this is what you get on this. And it's just nice to... Uh, to have that to kind of fill things out to where you feel like you don't have to play a million things and you can play something kind of simple and maybe do a little bit of run, uh, a run or two, you know, or and, uh, yeah, it just kind of fill things out and, and makes you you know feel like you don't need to play a million notes to, uh, to make it sound good so yeah so that was that all right guys well thank you so much for uh, for watching today and we'll see you next time bye bye